This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Uh, we have been uh, walking through some parables that Jesus uh, tells, and at the conclusion of that time of teaching, Jesus and his disciples began to make their way back across the Sea of Galilee, and it was a very, very eventful night. And what we see is that Jesus is Lord over the storm. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look today at verses 35 through 41, as we finish the fourth chapter of Mark. If you're new today, we are walking through Mark's gospel, just verse by verse, and seeing who Jesus is. Mark chapter 4, Lord over the storm, and let's begin reading in verse 35. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at this text today, that we would get a fresh vision of your power, of your love, of your sufficiency for anything that we go through in life, including the worst storms. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's currently going through a life storm. I pray that you would speak your peace to them today, and that you would, would calm the storm that is raging and enable them to look to you. And even if we're not currently going through a storm, we know that it's the nature of life in a broken world that we will. And we pray that you would take your word and equip us for that. So speak to us today through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you in this congregation know quite a bit about duck hunting, and if you don't know much about it, two quick things. It takes place really early in the morning, and it usually takes place when it's really cold. And uh, when I was in my first church many, many years ago, a friend invited me to go duck hunting with him and his son one morning, and so we were, I was living in North Carolina at the time, and so we, we, we drove probably at least an hour to the river, and my friend put the boat over. It was brutally cold, uh, windy. It was still dark outside. And uh, my friend put his 
put his boat over, and uh, he liked to call his duck boat the ultimate duck weapon. Well, that morning, as soon as he put the boat in the water, the ultimate duck weapon uh, began to fill with water. Uh, because uh, my friend had been doing some work on his boat, you see, and he had forgotten to put the plug back in the bottom of the boat, and furthermore, he didn't know where the plug was. And so the goal for that day quickly changed from hunting ducks to getting the boat out of the water and back on the dock as quickly as possible. Now, he and I have looked back and, and laughed about that fiasco many times through the years, but the reason we can laugh about it is because we knew that our lives were not in danger. We were still very close to the dock as all this was, was going on. That's not the case with these disciples. They are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the, in the storm of their lives. Have you ever been in a life storm where you feel like you're just you're bailing water as quickly as you can bail it, but you're still sinking. We've all been there. What do we need to know about God's power and love when we're in the midst of the storm? Let's talk about that. The first thing that we see here in this text is the, the setting in which it takes place. So we've been looking at parables, and you remember that Jesus was actually teaching from a boat. There had been thousands of people that had been gathered on the shore. And when he concludes that time of teaching these parables, he says, let's go over to the other side. He doesn't even get back on the shore. And immediately they head out into the Sea of Galilee to cross over. Now, the boat that they were, were in would have, would have looked very much like this. This one was found in 1986, about five miles from Capernaum, which was Jesus' major center of operations in Galilee. Carbon-14 technology has established that it was contemporary with the time of Jesus. Doesn't mean that it was the exact boat that he was in. But the boat that he was in would have looked very much like this. This is about 26 and a half feet long, 7 and a half feet wide. It would hold about 15 people. So there would have been room for Jesus and his disciples. And it was found during a time of drought by two Israeli fishermen from a kibbutz and part of it was sticking through the sand and it had been miraculously uh, preserved through the centuries and interestingly enough scientists believe that this boat would have had uh, originally a deck in the stern which is where uh, Jesus would have been sleeping so the boat would have looked uh, very much like this one and verse 35 tells us that on that day when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side now within those eight words let us go across to the other side there is a world of meaning because on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there were people that good religious people like Jesus normally didn't want to be around. Gentiles were on the other side. Many other unsavory types of people were on the other side. But that's the kind of people that as we're seeing again and again in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was going to. There's a man named C.T. Studd who once said this, Some wish to live within the sound of church and chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. 
That was Jesus. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And Jesus, thankfully, was a doctor who made house calls. He, He went to the people who were in the most desperate need. And he calls us to go with him. Now that might mean getting on a plane and crossing over an ocean to the other side and going to people who are in desperate need, but not everyone can do that. But all of us are called to go to the other side in the sense of getting out of our Christian comfort zone, out from among our little circle, our tight circle of Christian friends, and going to the other side and ministering to people who are without the Savior. In his book, Just Walk Across the Room, Bill Hybels tells about a a man who uh, lived in in a a southern Bible Belt city, and this man was African-American, and he was Muslim. He often felt isolated in his, his circle, and he was in a job where there were a lot of office parties and things like that, and he kind of got used to sort of standing off to the side. And he was at one of these functions one time, and, and, and a man was in his circle of friends, and he looked over and he saw this man over by himself. And this man, who was a Christian, extricated himself from his little circle, and he went over to this man, and they started talking. They talked about family and sports and business and so forth, and things got around the matters of faith, and he found out this man was Muslim. And the Christian said, you know what, I'd, I'd love to know more about, about your faith. I don't know a whole lot. Can we have a cup of coffee? And, and I'd, I'd like to learn more just about your faith and your story. And they did that, and this Christian listened Very attentively, very compassionately, he truly wanted to understand who this man was and where he was coming from. And this man was so blown away by this Christian's love that pretty soon he wanted to know more about Christianity. And the bottom line of the story is that both of them ended up being brothers in Christ. But it all started with a walk across the room. Sometimes it's easier to get in a plane and fly across the ocean than it is to walk across the room and to engage with someone who is outside of our circle, outside of our faith, who has different belief system and different values and so forth. But friends, this is what we are called to do if we're going to follow Jesus Christ. We must go to those who are outside of our our circle, outside of our Christian circle, And spend time with those who need the Savior. That is exactly what Jesus does over and over and over again. Look at verses 36 and following. It says, In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now notice a couple of things here. First of all, the level of detail that Mark gives. I mean, he gives us all kinds of details, doesn't he? He tells us that Jesus never got back on shore after he finished teaching. He tells us that other boats were around. He tells us that Jesus was asleep in the stern and on the cushion. Richard Bauckham, in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, would call these things irrelevant details. In other words, they're details that don't develop characters and they don't advance the plot. So why are they there? 
They are there because this is the way that eyewitnesses remember what happened. Now, in modern fiction, it's not unusual for people like John Grisham to add little details like this just to make the story seem more realistic. But in the first century, people didn't write like that. They didn't write fiction like that. What this shows, that the level of detail shows that what we're, what we're seeing here is a very vivid eyewitness account of what happened that night. It was Peter's eyewitness account that he was passing along to Mark, who wrote it down. The second thing that we see here in, the, in these details is the sheer ferocity and violence of this storm. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's, it's very, it, the area around it is very humid, at least for Israel standards. Uh, when you're at the Sea of Galilee, uh, you'll see bananas and mangoes and things like that growing a- around the, 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 the bottom, at the bottom of the, uh, where, where the sea is. So, so the, the sea is like a, like a beautiful bowl of soup at the, at the, bo- at the, at the bottom of, of the bowl, and, uh, and, and it rises steeply. So 700 feet below sea level, but 30 miles to the north is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. And it's covered with snow for part of the year. And so what happens occasionally is that this cool air from the mountains will meet this rising humid air from the Sea of Galilee, and it can produce very sudden storms. In fact, to this day, if you're in a town around the Sea of Galilee like Tiberias, you'll see signs in parking lots that will warn people that, Storms can come up and their cars can be swamped by the the waves. But see, these guys in this boat, they knew all about that. They were Galileans. Many of them were fishermen. They had spent their lives on this body of water. They knew all about these sudden storms. And listen, it took a lot to freak them out. And they are thoroughly freaked out by what was going on that night. It was just incredibly violent. There was something different about this storm. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as 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 we go on. They were filled with fear. That's the second thing that we see here. Is we, we see just their, 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 their fear. And we see at, at the end of verse 39, uh, they wake Jesus up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They thought they were going to die. Or do you not care? Now the fact that Jesus was asleep during all of this speaks volumes in and of itself about his serenity and his calm and his absolute trust in God. Listen, when you're in a situation in life that is fear-producing, look to the one who has no fear. Because I can assure you, Jesus Christ is not rattled by what's happening in your life. He's not surprised by what's happening. Look to him. But they, um, at this point, you know, they don't understand completely who Jesus is. They don't understand his power. They don't understand the full extent of his love for them. And so they they, they wake him up and and the question is, Lord, do you not care? Have you ever been through a storm where you, 
you felt like saying that to God, or maybe you did say that to God. God seemed so distant. He seemed asleep. And you said, Lord, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? But the assumption in that question is that if, if he really loved us, that he wouldn't be, oh, this wouldn't be happening in our lives. Okay, that assumption is wrong. Sometimes God allows storms to happen in the lives of people that he loves very much, like you and me, and like these disciples, because he wants to teach us something about himself. He wants to teach us here about his his power. That's the third thing that we that we see here in, in verse thirty nine. Uh, look at the power of Jesus. Verse thirty nine. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now it says here that Jesus rebuked the storm. We've seen that word before. We've seen it when Jesus encounters demons. When Jesus encounters demon-possessed people, we've already seen in in Mark that he, he will rebuke the demons. Same word is used here. And not only that, but Jesus speaks directly to the wind and the waves, almost in, in very personal terms. He uses a second person singular here in, in addressing the storm. In other words, he's speaking to the storm almost like you, you would a, a, a person. That probably indicates this is not a normal storm. There's probably a demonic element involved in this storm. And we're going to talk about, about it more next week. But Satan had lots of reasons not to want Jesus to get to the other side. So there's probably a demonic element to what's going on here. But Jesus just speaks to it in personal, authoritative terms. Literally what he says is, be still and stay still. And, and then, in an instant, it says that, that there was a, a great calm. Now understand, this does not mean sort of a gradual calming. You know, typically, even if a storm ceased, you know, if the wind suddenly stopped, even if the wind suddenly stopped blowing, it would take a few minutes for the water to kind of calm down. That's not what happens here. In a nanosecond... Jesus says, peace be still. And in a split second, the Sea of Galilee turns from being a raging sea to a sheet of glass. It is a dead, eerie calm. You know, then and now, the, the sea just conjures up images of something that is uncontrollable. I mean, we, we understand this because we live in a coastal community, and we understand that when, when a hurricane comes, that we've come a long way with tracking the storms, 
But there's no controlling the storm. You board up and you get out. We understand them. We can measure them. We can track them. We don't control them. There's an ancient story about a a Danish king who was surrounded by uh, people who would fawn over him all the time and flatter him all the time. And one day he just got sick of all of it and he said, "Am, am I God? And to prove his point, he walked up to the seashore where the waves were rolling in and he said, stop! And the waves just kept right on coming. And his point was unmistakable. I'm not God. But what does this say about Jesus? Jesus is God. God, who as Psalm 65, 7 says, stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. God, of whom Psalm 89, 9 says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. God, of whom it is said in Psalm 93, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. When you're in the middle of a storm that is raging and you're feeling overwhelmed, remember this. What's over your head is under his feet. He's the one with the power. The fourth thing that we see here is a question. We're going to see two questions. This is the first. And it's a question that Jesus poses in verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Literally, it's where is your faith? Where is your faith? And that's very important. Because the critical component when it comes to faith is not its strength, but its object. Jesus here is not saying, hey guys, conjure up more faith. Jesus is saying, put your faith in me. Look to me. Imagine that you fell off a cliff and you're hurtling through the air and you glance over and there's a branch sticking out of the wall of the cliff. And you're able to reach out and grab hold of the branch. You don't know how much strength the branch has. But as it turns out, the branch has plenty of strength. Strength enough to hold you. Strength enough to save you. Okay, now what saved you in that moment? Was it the strength of your faith or the strength of the branch? Jesus Christ is that branch. Grab a hold of him with the faith that you have. The fifth thing that we see here is terror. Terror. Now we saw that Jesus speaks this authoritative word and there's absolute dead calm in an instant. But how do the disciples react? Are they like, hey, that was pretty cool? Do they react by jumping up and down and celebrating? No, they're terrified. They're terrified. Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Literally, it is terror. They were filled with terror by what had happened. 
They were filled with fear when they thought they were going to die with a storm in the storm. But when Jesus calms a storm, it's more than just fear. It's terror. Why? You know, Tim Keller says this. Why were they more terrified in the calm than they were in the storm? Because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. Jesus had infinitely more power, so they had even less control over him. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is not the old man upstairs. Jesus Christ is not some nice guy with some nice teachings who is incapable of wrath or judgment. Jesus Christ is a sovereign king of this universe. In his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, appropriately, C.S. Lewis pictures Jesus as a lion. Aslan. And one of my favorite passages in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is where C.S. Lewis says of Aslan, he's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. Is Jesus the Savior? Yes. Is Jesus full of love and mercy and grace? Yes. He's also a lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's no domesticated cat. And we don't control him. He's the one in control. Never forget it. The sixth thing that we see here is a, is a final question. And it's a question that the disciples ask in verse 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Throughout Mark, what we see is that Mark is filling out the pieces of who Jesus is. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle in place about the identity of Jesus. And and, and the piece that is slid into place in this passage today is that Jesus is the sovereign king of this world. But you know, the story also tells us that Jesus is a savior king. There are a lot of fascinating parallels between this passage and the book of Jonah. Both Jesus and Jonah are in boats. Jesus and Jonah are both in boats that are being tossed about in a raging storm. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep as the storm is raging. Both Jesus and Jonah are awakened by those who are with them in the boat. In both Jesus and in Jonah's case, there is a divine intervention that stills the storm. And in both cases, the sailors in the boat are more terrified after the storm than they were during the storm. But there's one difference, right? How does the storm get stilled in the book of Jonah? Jonah says, I'm your problem. Throw me in. (laughs) And they did. They took hold of Jonah and threw him in and the storm ceased. That doesn't happen with Jesus, does it? Or does it? Where's this moving to in Mark? Jesus is headed into the ultimate storm in Jerusalem. 
And Jesus is going to get to Jerusalem and essentially Jesus is going to say, throw me in. Jesus is going to sacrifice himself and he is going to die beneath the waves of our sin so that we can have life. Now listen, if he loves you that much, what makes you think that he doesn't love you enough to handle any storm that you face in life? If he has this much power, what makes you think that he doesn't have power over any storm that you face in life? This is God's promise to you and me in Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Lord over the storm. Help us to remember this. In whatever we go through in life, help us to understand that you are the king, that all power and authority have been given to you, and that you are trustworthy. Trustworthy in any situation that we go through in life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Jesus, we would love for you to know more, more about his sacrifice for you, his resurrection for you, and and what that means in your life. We'd love to pray with you. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of, of invitation. Christ invites you to come to him. If you're here today and God's speaking to you, Uh, about being a part of this church family, uh, we would love to welcome you. If you're here and there's a need in your life for prayer, uh, then we invite you to come. There are people here who can pray with you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached 
Christ is exalted and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd, I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.